Welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a program on Carmelite spirituality. And we are going to reintroduce Francis. I, I suggested this before uh, we came on today that I, I am confident that we have touched on uh, some of the elements of this um, uh, great Carmelite's life, the person being Blessed Mary of the Incarnation, who we're going to talk about today. Uh, but regardless, we're going to focus exclusively on her today. So uh, I think this will be a great treat for our listeners. Francis, thank you for, by the way, doing uh, the groundwork on all of this today. Oh, what Appreciated a joy it. to get to know this um, Blessed Mary of the Incarnation, because I really didn't know very much at all about her. And when I uh, started investigating and researching, I was like, oh, my goodness, this is amazing. Why isn't she already canonized? Of course, uh, I know a little bit more of that, but some politics, of course, came into that. Well, as I shared with you, I had a tough week, and I appreciate it, uh, as I said, you stepping up and uh, doing the groundwork and the research and so forth. As I began to prepare using both the references you had provided and some notes you'd put together, I thought uh, to myself, this is uh, very timely for the uh, challenges and the trials I'm facing myself right now, uh, certainly as I look at this woman's life, uh, Barbara Avrila, uh I can... Um, find some solace in realizing that, um, you know, this uh, pathway to uh, transformation in, uh, in our spiritual journey is certainly not an easy one. It wasn't for this woman. But let's begin, as we do uh, each week, opening ourselves up to our Lord and asking that he would open our hearts and minds in preparation to receive this message. Francis, would you lead us in prayer? Yes, and this is a prayer actually prayed. Um, and composed by Blessed Mary of the Incarnation herself. And as we pray, I want you to remember today is her feast day. This April 18th, this is her feast day. So let us, let us call on her in a special way on this day. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord Jesus, conform my spirit to your blessed humanity, filling my mind with knowledge and my memory with a continual recollection of you, my will with an ardent affection for your majesty, conform my soul to your very holy soul. Enlighten me inwardly with the light of your divinity, all the more so as I believe by it that you are totally within me. By this means, I very humbly beg you to look from now on through my eyes, speak by my tongue, and accomplish by all my members and senses the things which are agreeable to you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, as you mentioned, Francis, the day we're doing this uh, broadcast, April 18th, is in fact the feast day of Blessed Mary of the Incarnation. It's the reason we chose to do her today. And as you indicated, and I certainly uh, affirm it, as we began to do research and reading on her, um, it's striking to me that we've missed her somehow in, in the uh, many years that we've been doing the program together. But uh, thank God we found her uh, and all the details of her life. I don't know that we'll be able to limit ourselves to one conversation on this. We'll have to see what future programs bring. But hers is a very fascinating story, to say the least. And, of course, she is known most famously for being the mother and the foundress of the Discalced Carmelite Order in France. And then later in her life, the last four years of her life, she became a lay sister in the order. So she died a religious. 
And, you know, without her, just think of it, Mark, we wouldn't have uh, St. Therese, the little flower, Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity, who we hope to see canonized this fall. Mm-hmm. Um, we Brother Lawrence have, of the Resurrection. Um, St. Yeah. Mary of <clears throat> Jesus Crucified. I mean, all these so wonderful many. French uh, yeah. connections and Carmelites. So uh, isn't it wonderful? And there is a, uh, a very um, uh, fascinating story as to how... Um, she got involved in becoming a foundress, but we'll get into that. Yeah, I'd ask you to to relate her patronage first. I think it's always interesting when we come across a a blessed or a saint um, that we understand um, where it is that their uh, you know experiences in life uh, play out in our own lives. I, I always find that an important connection. And so in this case, she has a number of things that she is the patron for. Well, she's particularly invoked for expectant mothers, for the acceptance and protection of life under all circumstances, because uh, she worked like a nurse in many circumstances. She's invoked against impoverishment because going through it herself. She knew what it was like against the loss of parents to help parents separated for their children to aid poor people and widows and also for women who are delivering. Mm. And it's, it's an amazing story. She was having a, an ecstasy and she was due. The baby was due and they were afraid that they were going to lose the mother and the baby, both of them together um, because she was in ecstasy. Um, but, because she hadn't come out of it. But God just like is telling him, don't worry, I've got this. <laughs> and she shudders a bit and the baby comes out and everybody is fine. And she comes out of her ecstasy. I mean, can you imagine that, Mark? <laughs> no, I can't. Oh, <laughs> it's a little too far removed for me. But um, anyway, these, these are all as a result of her life experiences. She, she was a daughter, a wife, a mother, and mystic. And of and a religious, which I think makes her particularly uh, important as we begin to learn more about her. I think she will be particularly important to uh, lay people, to seculars like ourselves, mm-hmm. folks who have the challenges of living in the world. Because she did all of that before she entered Carmel, right, right. Francis? And in the midst of a society in France in, in which there was a lot of upheaval. Um, mm. So, now, cool. I know you're going to post this on our site, but uh, just for the benefit of our listeners, there was a gold mine, as you described it, uh, of material on her. And I just want you to give that reference, albeit it will be posted on the on the website for, for those who want to. Yes, I'll put it on Carmelite Conversations. I'll also put it on our Facebook page. Um, and also Radio Maria will have it with our archived program. Um, the resource is www.madame-acari, A-C-A-R-I-E. Dot org, And when I found that site, I was amazed. There was probably 25, 30 papers written about different aspects of her life. It is very detailed, very interesting, worth the time to go in and learn who this mother and foundress of French Carmel is. Yeah. Now, I had asked you this question even before we came on here today. I said, you know, it's, it's amazing to me that, one, she's not perhaps better known uh, we're going to help contribute to that process a little bit, Francis. But, um, you know, what is it that's most striking about her life? And um, Father Raymond Cote, um, a discussed Carmelite priest, gives us a good introduction in this regard uh, as to why it is that her life is so striking. 
He says, "What is the secret of such striking continuity amidst all the upheavals in French society, and all the dramatic events that occurred in her own life?" I just want to put a side note here: where the time period we're talking about is 1566 through 1618. Okay, this society woman, who became a Carmelite. Had made a straightforward and radical surrender to God. She never doubted His presence within her, nor His assistance. She believed that a life of union with God was accompanied by the practice of virtues, and that the highest states of prayer were compatible with a very ordinary human existence. From the moment she received a sign from God, this woman of faith and fidelity began to follow a spiritual path based on simplicity and confidence. Yeah, it goes on to add,、uh, and I think we should take some consolation from this、um, description of her life: sickness, family problems involving both her husband, her children, and even her elderly father, financial setbacks, and labors of every kind. Endure she endured with courage and a spirit of self-denial, and it made her life one long way of the cross, which she bore with great humility and fortitude. She's a wonderful example of the living holiness in a world full of trials, both for men and women. So we can relate to that、well, oh, life full of trials, right? <laughs> and in fact, if I combine our two、uh, readings here,、uh, Francis, there are a couple of things that jump off the page at me.、Uh, first of all, she says, "You know, this life of union and holiness, even in this world, is for everybody,、right. and in fact, it should be found in the most ordinary human existence." She says. Furthermore. The acceptance of God's presence within our life was the central theme, really, of her life, and we'll, we'll bear that out. And thirdly, and unfortunately, the reality that we all must follow a way of the cross on some level. But she seems to have found the way through that,、uh, most especially. And again, we'll discuss this. I would contend, though,、um, that the central virtue that she talks about, that she exercised, was humility. Absolutely.、Uh, in all of the circumstances in, in that fact, she endured. What she said, Mark, about humility was that humility was the shortest and fastest way to perfection. Yeah, and it's it's um, um, evidence in the reflections, some of which you've read, and others that are available on the site you identified, Francis, that that was the primary virtue she was identified for in the midst of all these trials,、um, exercising、uh, certainly patience, but this virtue of humility. Absolutely. Well, let's get a quick biographical sketch of her because it's important to to sort of put these uh, uh, people in context, I guess. Well, I'm going to let you pronounce her name because you've got the French accent. <laughs> She was born Barbara Avrelot、uh, in Paris in February one, fifteen sixty six. I actually don't know that you'd add the last T there, but、uh, into a family of higher bourgeoisie society. Now, her childhood, Francis, was not a particularly、uh, comfortable one. And I was so saddened to hear this, and it actually.、Um Uh, it just just tore at my heart to read this, but this is her mother. As much as her mother wanted her,、um, because uh, her mother had tried to have children and wasn't successful, and finally had、um, Barbara, and then some sons followed. But after she was born, it was awful. Her mother thought nothing of her. In her eyes, the girl was coarse, clumsy, and ill-humored. And so she treated her harshly, both in words and actions. I'm reading from a quote, actually, that was written by、um, Barbara's eldest daughter,、um, 
after her death. So, um, And then she goes on to say that the mother, to the extent that she would not let her go near the fire to warm herself, no matter how cold the weather. Moreover, the place where she used to get dressed was near a door. A wind came through it which chilled her to the marrow. She suffered so much from the cold that she contracted severe frostbite in her feet, and they were then obliged to place her in the hands of the surgeons who remained, and, and this I was shocked, who removed the bones in her toes in order to effect a cure. Never heard of that before. This caused her great pain, needless to say. She would speak to us about it from time to time. I mean, I, I kept thinking, she's a real Cinderella type, you know? Yeah, yeah. Only uh, it wasn't the wicked stepmother. It was the mother. Ugh, have mercy. Yeah. The, that reflection goes on. It says, when they were at table, she was served the coarsest cuts of meat. She was subjected to physical abuse, but she appeared neither annoyed nor displeased. She had the gentleness, which is a token of real strength. Um, Madame Arvilla, her mother, Barbara's mother, was unable to fathom the supernatural element in this serenity. She thought her daughter was unsophisticated and awkward. But you know, throughout that troubled childhood, there were four features that would greatly influence Barbara's spiritual life. Number one, she became accustomed from her earliest years to poverty and physical suffering. Reminded you know, me of John it, of the Cross. Yeah, isn't it interesting in so many lives of the saints uh, that they uh, appear to have endured that phase of their life, maybe all of their life in this case, uh, that is predominantly true. Of course, her married life was a little bit better, but uh, she certainly was not unaccustomed to poverty, physical suffering at a very early age, and it seems to have given her the spiritual metal that she would need to uh, go through the, um, the trials that she would face later. And she did submit with serenity and respect to her mother's unjust demands. She experienced periods of aridity and with no complaints, without compensation, without any kind of consolation on the human level. And here we see that humility playing out yeah, already. Right. You know, you, you wonder what gave her the spiritual depth to be able to understand that she should be responding in this way. It's a, uh, obviously a gift of grace, but... Uh, but nonetheless, the trials were no less because of it. And as a result, we think that with her serenity and gentleness, that, that it was indeed given to her from, from God. So, well, at ages 11 and 12, then, her parents sent her to school at a monastery with the poor Clares of Notre Dame at Log uh, uh, Camp, uh, fully titled The Monastery of the Minims of Our Ladies of Humility. How about that? Of humility. There are factors <laughs> in there. <laughs> She had a maternal aunt who was in this particular monastery, and of course that's why her parents chose to send her there. And she ended up remaining there for about three years. And this is how they described her. They, on the other hand, in the opposition to Barbara's mother, said that she was very upright and unwavering in her desire for truthfulness. Um, She had a profound sense of her failings, which they thought she never distinguished from sins, and that she had a gift for self-mastery. What a great gift. Yeah, I want to just focus quickly on this statement about not distinguishing her, her own failings from her sins. This is an area, I think, where a lot of people struggle. I know I have struggled with it in the past. I suspect I'll continue to struggle with it. You know, where do we draw that distinction between, well, these are my shortcomings. These are the, the aspects of my character that are inconsistent with my spiritual a walk and what I might aspire to in terms of 
um, living a life of perfection, is that inconsistent with sinfulness? In her case, no. She saw that as a deficiency within herself. It both contributed to her humility, but also increased her reliance on God for the resolution of that. And I will say this. I think if we were to have the opportunity to speak to her about this, she might be somewhat dumbfounded at the inquiry of this issue of how do we combine our shortcomings and the thought of our sinfulness. For her, it was one in the same because, I think, she realized her complete dependence on God. And so it wasn't an intellectual uh, you know, struggle within her. It was an acceptance. Of course I'm in need of God. I'm a sinful creature by nature. And so... Uh, it allowed her to exercise humility in all these difficult circumstances. She kind of reminded me of, of what I've read about St. Bernadette of Lourdes, kind of the, you know, uh, quiet, but then a, a, a little line there that really lays it all open, you know, what's been hidden in the spirit. So um, the other thing about her, of course, was that she was very moved by the sufferings of others and that she had a great gift for friendship and for loyalty to her friends. And with this positive experience here at the monastery with these poor Claire, she wanted to become a nun, but her parents refused. And they said, no, they wanted her to get married. Yeah, and here again is um, an example of where this idea of sinfulness and her unworthiness or her failings plays out and allows her to fall back on humility. She said, since my sins have rendered me unworthy of the little uh, of the title spouse of Jesus Christ, I must perforce be content to be his servant in a lower state. So she just accepts this. You know, so many people who uh, may have uh, endeavored to enter religious life and are rejected, um, from that uh, opportunity uh, may grow hard of heart and may decide, well, okay, if, if you know this order is rejecting me, I'm just going to reject the church in general. It happens in many instances in our spiritual journey. Instead, I think what uh, Blessed uh, Mary the Incarnation would counsel, as she will, by the way, in a story a little bit later, um, no, accept that in humility. Accept that your own deficiencies have led to this. Now, she's not saying, oh, we're all terrible people and we should live in, in uh, you know, despair. She's, she was uh, also a practitioner of, of great patience and joy. She manifests a great joy. Uh, it's not scrupulosity. It's simply acknowledging, no, I, I, I have my deficiencies, and the Lord has deemed that this is a more appropriate state for me, and I want to follow that. And generally... Generally, uh, the religious state was seen as a higher state, a, a, a state in which you could grow in holiness better than in the lay state. And she sees herself, you know, as unworthy of this. Um, however, later, when she does enter the Order of Carmel in the last four years of life, she wrote in another letter, she said, to enter religion, that is in the sense of the consecrated life, is to receive much from God, but... To remain in the world with the disposition and desires that he has given to you, the attraction to religious life, is, I believe, to give him much in return. So she's having experienced both of those. She is giving more validity that, you know, uh, God can bring you to holies no matter your religious state or lay state. And the point here with her was that this was God's plan for her, that you know, she marry first, and then all of these other things came together. And, you know, it is um, a, a great uh, lesson for 
Uh, so many who, and I've heard uh, uh, people say this, well, of course, if I could have lived in a monastery or if I could have lived a religious life, a consecrated life, I could have been a saint too. And I think, uh, again, Blessed Mary would say to us, no, 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 it's, it's all dependent on what the Lord has called you to. For this period of her life, predominant period of her life, by the way, um, she was called to the world. And we're going to see the story of her uh, giving birth and the difficulty she went through in that life. But um, I think her counsel would be, Whatever God has called you to, that's where he was intending uh, to perfect you. Exactly. And so respond to that. Um, um, exactly. And if it means giving up what you want, perhaps all the better. Perhaps all the better. Yeah, because God's got something better in mind. <laughs> well, at 16, um, out of obedience to her parents and in accordance with God's plan for her, she was married to Pierre Akari. Is that how you say mm-hmm. it in French? Yeah. Akari? And he's a young 22-year-old. She's 16, he's 22. But he was rather wealthy, um, and he was a fervent Catholic. And between the ages of 18 and 26, she gave birth to six children, five of whom all became religious. Three of them, three of her daughters, actually entered Carmel before she ever did. Um, And one of them became a priest. But she was a a model wife and mother in, in the midst of all of that. Now, I found this interesting. It says at first she liked and found enjoyment in reading romance novels of knights and shining armor and uh, the castles and all the rest of it. Of course, that harkens back to who? Yeah, St. Teresa of Avila, <laughs> because in, in St. Teresa of Avila's youth, she read those kind of novels, too. Well, but and then she this, gave them up, you know. She did eventually give them up, right. <laughs> yeah, and, it, and Barbara Akari's husband didn't like them either. And he, he got rid of them. He, you can just see him pitching them on the flame. And, and uh, he replaced them with books that were much more pious and, and really helped direct her path. Which, no doubt, uh, uh, you know, was, again, part of God's plan that she would experience uh, that restriction on her husband's part and, and the redirection to spiritual uh, literature. Now, Madame Akari had a big conversion at the age of 21. This and is how Barbara. often, Mark, do we hear about a big conversion in the life of our Carmelites? Teresa had one, but I think she was like 54. Um, I, uh, Brother Lawrence of the Resurrection. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of our other saints that we have talked about have had these big conversion moments. That's so this is very interesting. Event, yeah. yeah, and this was just by uh, just something she read. Yeah, she read the following maxim. He is truly a miser for whom God does not suffice. Now, I had to read that a couple of times until I really sort of fully grasped it, Francis. But what she's in effect saying here is, if God isn't enough for you, you're really a miser. I mean, you're, you're just, you know, sort of... You're collecting uh, things. Yeah, you're just collecting things and, and, and leaving the, the, the greatest gift, of course, behind. This is much like what is found on the famous bookmark of Holy Mother Teresa, let nothing disturb you. He who has God, lacks nothing. God alone suffices. Why would we want anything else? Here is when Madame Akari grew in detachment from created things and instead an attachment to God alone, which this outlook, of course, would guide her actions for the rest of her life. And she often repeated that sentiment to others that she spoke with. But, you know, this led to um, uh, a very uh, a big period of suffering for her. Now, her husband and her had a good marriage. They loved each other. And yet, the history of France, you know, they're going through a lot of trials right here. And so maybe you can fill us in here because I didn't write a whole lot of notes. Yeah, on her, her husband supported the Catholic League against Henry IV. Uh, when Henry became the king, he took their estates, he impoverished the families, he exiled 
her husband specifically from Paris for several years. Madame Macari was left behind with her children um, and, and was abandoned. She was the one, and she suffered greatly. She was the one who had to deal with the creditors and the business people uh, for that, that would allow her to retain her children's fortune. She even defended her husband in court. She had to draft the memoirs, write the letters, furnish the proofs of his innocence. He was eventually acquitted, and he was allowed to return to Paris after about three years. But again, during this time, she dealt with all the worldly circumstances, all this minutia that we might characterize mm-hmm. it as, um, that, that nonetheless was the responsibility of her state in life. And it was all imposed on her. It wasn't anything she had done, and in fairness, and neither had her husband. He was ultimately found innocent. But... Um, you know, we so often look at the difficult circumstances in our life and we're, we're prone to say, why me, Lord? Why are you giving me this? Why are you distracting me from my religious life? Mm-hmm. I should be praying instead of having to write all these letters. Well, right. that's part of the process for us, as difficult as it might be. Confusion is, is a consequence of these sort of experiences. But nonetheless, it is the way that the Lord was working through her to perfect her. And boy, did she gain courage. And she gained a lot of business skills, too, um, in having to uh, help raise funds to raise her children because her husband is away. He's, he's not there with her. But, you know, also during that same time period, she, like Teresa Vavla, you know, broke some bones. She was riding a horse and fell off and was dragged behind this horse in such a way that her thigh was broken in three places. And not only did she fall once, but she fell three different times. So in an, uh, it eventually just left her uh, totally an invalid um, in the sense that she had to use crutches for the rest of her life. Yeah, and in spite of all her personal difficulties, Madame Macari was well known for the great charity and giving relief to those who were suffering. She she could certainly relate to them. Well, we're going to take a break, and then we'll come back and pick up the uh, biographical uh, profile before we get into the, the spiritual aspect of Blessed Mary of the Incarnation. A reminder, you're listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We'll be right back. Let there be light, let there be light again For into the dark the sun is sent We will see and we will see once more For unto us the light is born
Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations, a program on Carmelite spirituality on Radio Maria, Christian voice in your home. We are discussing today Blessed Mary of the Incarnation. She is actually known as the foundress of the Discalced Carmelites in France. Uh, her um, time frame is 1566 to 1608, uh, but she had a remarkable uh, impact on the Carmelite order. And as Francis and I had mentioned when we began the conversation a little bit ago, uh, it, it's um, um, interesting that she's not better known. We're trying to address that shortfall, uh, but we will provide references to um, some of the source material and, and encourage folks to get up and uh, review some of that material online because she really is a remarkable uh, Carmelite. And I think, Francis, as it relates to her um, having predominantly lived her life in the world and right. facing all the challenges that we all face, right. um, she's really a saint for our time. And but, she was very good at discernment, too. It was just amazing, some of the things I read about her discernment. During her own time, though, she had a couple of important friendships. You yes. want to share those with you us? Know, saints flock together, don't they? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, she was a friend to, of course, the poor and the lowly, but the, the distinguished as well. Actually, their house um, was a kind of a, a gathering place for the French intellectuals and the French uh those the Catholic ones uh, to come together, but along, among her uh, friends were Saint Vincent de Paul and Saint Francis de Sales, who actually was her spiritual director for about six months. So, and he is actually involved in her starting the first monastery in uh, France, the first Carmelite monastery. Now, Madame Macari was also given a number of mystical gifts, such as, for example, and these would certainly explain her her. Um, the popularity of her at the time and the reason that so much was written about her, again, today, I, I think she's not as well known, but she had the gift of healing. She had the gift of prophecy, of predicting certain events in the future. Uh, she had the gift of reading hearts. Mm-hmm. She had, as Francis has already mentioned, the discernment of spirits was a powerful gift for her, mystical gift. At the age of 27, she also received the stigmata the grace of physical conformity to the suffering of Christ. And she is the first French woman, Francis, whose eminent persons attested to the authentic stigmata, even though it was invisible. Right. So they they all agree that she did have the invisible stigmata, and um, the only French woman at that time, um, thus to have been uh, discerned and approved uh, by them, now, Frere Ephraim Yon, who was the prior of LaCroix, uh, Sir Orc, I think I pronounced that right, described her suffering in this way. On fast days, Fridays, Saturdays, and the days of Lent, she experienced intense pain in her feet, her hands, her side, and her head. And she was overwhelmed by a deep and ecstatic communion with the person of Jesus which left her, as it were, absorbed in God for several hours at a stretch. She confided in Pere Catan, the Jesuit, and Cardinal de Berul about this matter. The pains were of a spiritual nature. They ceased in the same way that they began, and once they ceased, she felt nothing more. Yeah, he continues to say about her suffering, she does not experience suffering pure and simple, turned in on herself, but suffering which unites her with the suffering of the Lord for the sins of the world and for her own sins as well. She shares in the Lord's desire to bring salvation, his will to save sinners, and his self-offering to the Father for this purpose. I don't know that I've read a better 
uh, and certainly has concise explanation, Francis, of this whole idea of um, suffering for others, um, as as what's just been read to us here. Um, this is really sort of a synopsis of the um, idea in the gospel that we participate in Christ's suffering, and we work for the salvation of the world through our own suffering. It doesn't absolve her in this statement of her own sinfulness, and that's important. We we couldn't and wouldn't and shouldn't fall into the trap of saying, oh, well, I'm suffering for so-and-so, or I'm suffering for the for the um, <clears throat> those suffering poverty or whatever the particular um, um, difficulty somebody may be experiencing uh, would seem to, to uh, correlate to in, form, in the form of suffering. But in fact, we also suffer for our own sins. We suffer for um, the inherent deficiencies within us uh, as human persons. We all have them. Um, but the purification of that, I would contend, because St. John of the Cross said as much, uh, also accrues, as we are purified, that purity accrues to the value uh, of those that we are, in fact, suffering for. So so that's uh, a sense of redemptive suffering. Absolutely right. right. That's the best way to describe it, redemptive right. suffering. Well, in 1601, Madame Akari was introduced to the writings of St. Teresa of Avila, and at first, she didn't like her very much, I have to say. This is when the books of the writings of St. Teresa of Avila were translated into French. And her house being a place where these people who knew Teresa had been reading her works and now were translating her works, you know, they more or less got those works to Madame Akari for her to to be a part. But she didn't read them herself. She had them read to her. And her first response was too many visions, you know, and just kind of put off um, because they were reading about the book of her life. But by the time they started reading about the way of perfection and the reason why um, Teresa was forming these convents, these monasteries, these foundations to pray for the priests and to strengthen them, to be the strength in the heart of the church, um, you know, then she started to perk up here. Um, so it is kind of interesting what happened. But as a result of having been introduced to those readings, just a few days later after she was first introduced to those readings. Speaking of visions. Yes. See, <laughs> Well, she didn't call it that. She called it a spiritual sighting, yeah. <laughs> which which we would refer to as a vision, in which Mother Holy Mother Teresa, St. Teresa of Avila, appeared to her and informed her that God wished to use her as the instrument to introduce the Carmelite order into France. St. Teresa told her, quote, Just as I enriched Spain with this renowned order, so do you who are bringing piety back to France, endeavor to let that country experience this benefit. So, of course, the first thing she does is take this to her spiritual director, and then they call a meeting because she's wanting to follow the order of St. Teresa in this vision. She, she resonates with it, and they say, hold on, you know, uh, there's a lot of strife going on politically here, and they're not thinking that this is such a good idea. And, and so she obeys, and yet she struggles interiorly because she feels with great certainty that this is what needs to be done. Um, and Francis de Sales is in on this, and Pierre de Berulle, who was the future founder of the Oratory of Jesus. Um, you know, there are a lot of obstacles be between France and Spain at this time, but with their guidance, uh, the project 
does eventually begin. She has a second vision of Teresa, who now tells her, hurry up, <laughs> hasten, get this done. And so again, she takes it to the the committee of people that are helping her discern. And, you know, in the first meeting, these people had said, well, we need a, a more... Um, a more clear sign from the Lord that this is his will. And so when Teresa comes a second time urging them to hurry up, you know, they starting to discern now and uh, agree that, yes, uh, this is the real deal. And so they approve. And actually, St. Francis de Sales is the one, I think, that ob- obtained the bull to get the first foundation started. And the date was interesting as to when the first group of Spanish nuns reached oh, Paris. Point. October 15, 1604. Of course, I totally October missed that. <laughs> <laughs> and why is that important? Because? Feast of St. Teresa of Avila. Yes, exactly. So her first Amazing. group of Spanish nuns reached Paris three and a half years after the discussion with St. Teresa the first time, the vision uh, on St. Teresa's very feast day. Carmel spread rapidly thereafter uh, influenced by uh, and began to influence French society. And by the time Madame McCary's death, uh, there were actually 14 foundations. Yes, Interesting. how about that? <laughs> and it was, so she really did follow in Teresa's footsteps. Yeah. Woohoo! Well, now, after the death of her husband, uh, she was only 48 years old at the time. She was essentially relieved of all her spousal duties. She settled her, her affairs, and she entered um, what at that time was the poorest of the French Carmels in Amiens, um, France, as a lay sister. Uh, she took the religious name Mary of the Incarnation. And you told the story, Francis, earlier about her three daughters. They actually joined her. I'm sorry, previously uh, they had entered Carmel. Uh, and one of them, Margaret of the Blessed Sacrament, who was a sub-prioress of the foundation that um, Blessed Mary the Incarnation entered, um, all of them had entered before their mother did. Right. And then in a couple of years, um, she was only in Carmel four years but before she died. But uh, the last two, she was in the Carmelite convent and how do you pronounce it? Pun- Pontois. Okay. Yeah. And she that's where died. she eventually died. So she dies in 1618. And there were tons and tons of miracles uh, recorded following her death. And her own son, Pierre Akari, which I think became the priest, um, was deeply impressed by all of these astonishing events. And he requested the opening of the inquiry, which might lead to her beatification. Uh, the inquiry did begin, and then it ended in 1632, um, but it did not come under consideration in Rome until the end of the 18th century. The Pope at the time came up with this rule during that period that, oh, you got to wait 50 years after their death before you uh, try to get them canonized. So that was part of it. Um, but anyway, eventually, um, her beatification was celebrated at St. Peter's in Rome on June 5th in 1791, and then um, she was beatified on the 24th of April. Yeah, 24th of April was the actual beatification, and then the celebration of it was uh, just a few months later in June of that same year, 1791, by Pope Pius VI. Of course, we know now her feast day is actually the 18th of April, the day that Francis and I are having this conversation about her. Um, there's not a lot of written material from Blessed Mary of the Incarnation, Francis. Uh, we have some collection of letters, a short work entitled uh, The Exercises, or her sayings, if you will, quoted in uh, depositions uh, by others. Um, but, and actually, Mark, I want to interrupt yeah. you there just because that um, that those exercises, they can be found online at madame-akari.org. 
It is in French, though, so I couldn't read it. Oh, I was like, oh. I think you can translate. I think that page actually translates. Oh, really? It? Yeah. I didn't know how to translate. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. For our, but, for our uh, uh, listeners' benefit, it, usually there'll be a drop down box up on the right hand uh, portion of the screen that says, uh, Do you want to translate? So, well, I had done that with the whole site, but that one in particular did not come okay, up maybe in English maybe for me. So um, Just learn maybe there's a French. Google Translate. I don't know, but <laughs> I was like, Boy, I would have liked to have read that. Well, on her interior life, of course, there were um, her own writings. There were uh, these exercises. There were a number of observations made about her by people who knew her. As we said early on, you know, part of what uh, got her so much attention, albeit it took 200 years to get her to be out of vacation, but um, the early uh, months following her death, there were a number of miracles both uh, at her um, uh, on her deathbed, as well as at the gravesite, that certainly raised uh, people's attention. And then uh, a process began as a result, as we said, of her son advancing this. But uh, we wanted to try to sort of draw some fruit out of the reflections that were written um, either by her or about her on a couple of key topics. And so, uh, Francis, would you begin to lead us into these? Uh, the first one, of course, we can resonate with as it relates to Brother Lawrence of the Resurrection. Right, and it's so funny that you bring him up in particular. Um, he wrote Practicing the Presence of God, and, and that's what we want to talk about here. But she actually was compared to him because they both worked in the kitchen when they were in Carmel. They both, he had a peg leg, uh, a wooden leg, and she, of course, is walking around on crutches because of a bad leg. And so um, to both of them having uh, done a significant amount of work in practicing this presence of God, uh, many of them said that she was very much like Brother Lawrence. So when she was asked to describe how she practiced the presence of God, she replied that the only way she knew was to keep God constantly in view always turning towards him with shame and confusion at our own condition. She considered that being in the presence of God was the state of the blessed in heaven who are ceaselessly united with God and keep their minds fixed on him without any deviation and that human beings in the state of original justice behaved in the same upright manner and that the remedy for us is to do the same. By turning continually towards God and away from ourselves through our own humiliation, shame, and confusion. Now, that may sound harsh, Francis, as we read that. Humiliation, shame, confusion. She doesn't view it, as I said before, in the lens of a scrupulosity, you know, where she's constantly berating herself. But rather, it's an acknowledgement of our condition before God. We are not perfect. You know, I, I, I guess I would say the way we used to uh, on a sports field, that when we had to give some tough counsel to somebody, you're not perfect. Deal with it. You know, she seems to be dealing with it by acknowledging it. Yes, there's shame, there's confusion. But if we keep our eyes focused on God... He will draw us through that purification, uh, that transformation, uh, and into uh, his presence. But it's something we have to work out constantly. It's not a periodic, you know, in the morning I'll speak to him, in the afternoon I'll speak to him, and in the evening I'll get around to saying goodnight. She did it constantly. And if you don't keep your eyes on Christ and you go in toward yourself and your eyes are on yourself, that can lead you into depression. Exactly. That can be a path of depression. Depression, uh, discouragement, darkness. So, keeping your eyes on Christ. This is what Teresa Vavla would always tell you. So, um, Blessed Mary of the Incarnation. Um, I mean, she actually, you know, she 
was alive when Teresa of Avila was alive, um, but whether like, she never met her in person, she only saw her in that vision. Um, but she did read those works, so uh, it's just kind of interesting to to know that she's carrying the torch. Yes, keep your eyes on Christ. Well, and this, of course, leads us to the the virtue she's most noted for, and that is her humility. In response to this greatness of God and His gifts, that is Madame Macari's special characteristic. Uh, it's moreover a special characteristic for the Carmelite order. We know this was gifted to us by um, uh, St. Teresa of Avila. It was the number one virtue she encouraged us to practice. In much the same way Franciscans practice poverty as their right. central virtue, mm-hmm. Carmelites look to humility as our central virtue. In Madame Macari's case, in fact, humility was not simply a moral virtue. It was a consequence of her mystical experience. Human nature stands naked in the light of divine continence, and the mystic's one desire is to disappear and to make way for God. And again, we're taken back to these ideas of humiliation, shame, and confusion. We want that to be purified, and in order for that to be true, we have to disappear and let the presence of God, as St. I'm sorry, John um, uh, the Evangelist said, you know, I must decrease, he must increase. So uh, very important, very consistent with a scriptural teaching um, that we are called in our walk uh, to the practice of humility because it allows us to open ourselves to the working of God within us. And then great things could be done through even humble and simple people. Well, Madame Akari was heard to have declared that if there's the slightest impurity in the union of the soul with God, then it is clouded over like a mirror that is clouded if one breathes on it. And the effect is as immediately obvious. I thought, oh, you could just see that, visualize that, and just thinking of your soul being clouded over that way. You know, and I thought about St. John of the Cross, and we've uh, reflected in the last uh, uh, week's uh, meeting in, in our community how so many people misread John, and they say he's harsh, and he's demanding, and he's just, you know, uh, very stringent. And, of course, what John is uh, teaching and what he's advocating is the elimination of anything that might serve as an impediment between ourselves and God. And this is exactly what Madame Macari is saying here. Any deficiency within the soul will cloud our vision. It will, it will impede our ability to see God. We're looking to be in communion with him throughout the course of the day. But if we are at the same time desirous of something that's inconsistent with his will, then we're not going to find uh, that vision of him particularly clear. Now, when others would be talking with her and they were aware of her mystical gifts, um, she would get to a great place with humility by saying that, you know, if a king put a great quantity of valuables and precious stones into a cooking pot and then had them taken out of it, so he put them in the pot, take them out of the pot, the cooking pot would be neither richer nor poorer because of what he had done. And it's the same with us. In other words, she realized that God is giving these uh, gifts, these precious stones are, are the mystical gifts he's given her. But if he takes them out of her, she's the same as she was before or after. You know, it's God giving his gifts as he wants, as he chooses and when he chooses. Yeah, I, I liked this next phrase. And frankly, I didn't know, Francis, if it was your wording or somebody else's, but it said, in her opinion, grace automatically led to the humility that results from ruthless clear-sightedness with regard to oneself. Ruthless clear-sightedness. Isn't that nice? I thought that was good. I, <laughs> I like that. Well, one day, uh, I mentioned this story earlier, and now I want to uh, um, you know, share it with you. One day, apparently, a devout person was talking to her about her interior life, this devout person that was speaking to Madame Macari, her spiritual inclinations and her prayer. And when Blessed Mary, the Incarnation, 
heard all of what this person had to say and was uh, expressed in terms that were in no way pleasing to her, uh, she told the person that she was unable to comprehend what she was saying. Madam McCurry, again, speaking to this uh, devout person, she said since she did not have sufficient intelligence to understand the terms that she was using, she continued in her counsel back to this woman. Now, Madam McCurry says, come, let us talk about your interior life, since this is what you want to discuss. As for me, my interior life means seeing the extent of my pride and the unmortified passions within me. In other oh, words, amazing. her counsel is, don't get confused with all that theology. Our Holy Father is saying the same thing. Don't get wrapped up in all this. Just look at this. Be humble. Be before God. Keep God in, in, in um, present to you throughout the course of the day. Mortify your passions. That's what our interior life is about. Well, and I think this other person was probably trying to talk about mystical things and maybe in a prideful way. And, of course, then Madame Akari, at this time, Blessed Mary of the Incarnation, is seeing that this is not the real deal. And so, you know, revealing to her, well, you know, when I look at, at my interior life, this is what I see is my pride and my unmortified passions. And yet at the same time, by saying that about herself, she is pointing to the other person. This is where you should be looking, you know, instead of out here uh, floating around in this other way. So I just thought, well, that was very insightful. Yeah, um, and she gives an example from her own life. And this will be, we'll conclude the discussion on humility with this before we pray. But um, from her own life, and she, she was obviously able to draw from a number of experiences, and in this case, it's from her worldly life. It says she happened one time um, to be in conversation with one of her domestic servants. The person was taken ill, uh, and it crossed Madame Akari's mind that she ought to take good care of this person because the person had an invaluable role to play in the smooth running of her house. Well, just as she was giving... Um, this uh, young man some broth, she felt herself being immediately, interiorly rebuked for having entertained such a thought and for having wanted to combine her interests, her own interests, that is, with the interests of the household servant, i.e. with the charitable work that she was about to administer. And this affected her so deeply that she wept bitterly, it says. And right. I think that's an example from real life where it's not a terrible thing to want the health of the person. But in this case, she understood that what she really wanted was this person back on his feet so he could be doing his chores. Doing the work <laughs> yeah. she needed him to do, right. Yeah. And so she realized that. And, and uh, for many of, I'm sure, our listeners, Francis, this might sound a bit harsh, but this is the degree to which, or the, the, the uh, I guess, uh, standard to which she held herself when it came to the practice of humility. It was beautiful. We have so much more to learn from her, and there were so many papers on the website. I want to give you that website once more, www.madame-akari.org. Well, it seems clear to me we're not going to finish um, with this conversation. I don't know that we'll come back with her next week, Francis, but we certainly should make time uh, in the future to readdress some of these other areas joy in her life spiritual direction and the role that it played seeing god in nature that was a wonderful section uh, on poverty and on grace in action this combination of uh, the contemplative life with the active life uh, so we will certainly be doing another program on her and as uh, francis has i would certainly encourage you to visit um, that site which we will post on our website so that people can do the research and Mark, before we go to our closing prayer, can you just give a little quick blurb about this pilgrimage that you're leading? Yes. In um, uh, late uh, September and in early into early October, we'll be going to Quebec. 
the province of Quebec will be beginning in the city of Montreal, where we'll visit Notre Dame, the Oratory of um, uh, St. Joseph, as well as um, a, a wonderful cathedral uh, dedicated to Mary, Queen of Peace. We'll then be proceeding to Quebec City, where we'll see another Notre Dame. Uh, we'll see the uh, North American Shrine to St. Therese of Lisieux, that's in Canada, uh, and we'll also be visiting St. Anne de Beaupre. It'll be a wonderful experience. There'll be a number of presentations on Carmelite uh, spirituality. And I encourage you to go to our website. You'll find the link there uh, to the pilgrimage uh, organizers. And you can just trigger that link. And uh, for those who are interested in registering and participating in that with us, uh, that would be the place to do it. I encourage you to uh, to give that serious consideration. It's a beautiful time. I picked it specifically because it's the ideal time to be in Canada. And Mark is French-Canadian, so he's got a great insight to all of this. And as a Carmelite, it'll be really beautiful, I'm sure. So go to www.carmeliteconversations.com, and you will find the link to that pilgrimage. Now let's close with this prayer for Blessed Mary of the Incarnation, for her canonization. So join me in this prayer for her. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. O holy and adorable Trinity, who have deigned to grant your servant, Mary of the Incarnation, an ardent interior life, joined to intense activity, totally consecrated to your glory. Teach us how to do your will, and allow us to spread the reign of the incarnated word, our Lord Jesus Christ. Draw us close to you to consume us with your love and deign to hasten your faithful servant's glorification in granting us the grace we are begging of you today by her intercessions. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. A reminder, you've been listening to Carmelite Conversations, a program on Carmelite spirituality on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Until we're with you again next week, God bless. 